Hey gang, welcome to Geeking Out, the podcast for collectors. I'm your host, Jeff French. I go by ETH Frenchie on Twitter. I'm the creator of the BPX Collective. And every week, we're going to bring you in-depth discussions with the industry's top experts, covering everything from sports cards to comics to TCGs and beyond. So sit back, relax, and join us as we geek out. And let's take your collection to the next level. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Geeking Out. I'm your host, Eth Frenchie, and I've got a, a very special guest with me today. A lot of you may know him as Bunch in Web3 and NFT circles, if you're around, but he is uh, Joe O'Rourke, and he is the founder of, one of the founders of the DGen Network and Forum3. Joe, welcome to, the, uh, welcome to this new pod we're doing, Geeking Out. I'm super, super, super excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me, Frenchie. I'm looking forward to the conversation we're going to have today. Uh, I can already tell by the background in your video that we are going to get along just fine. Uh, super pumped to be here. Yeah, man, I've said it before that if uh, collecting is, isn't in my DNA, I really don't know what it is. I just I love collecting. And that's kind of when we were talking about how we wanted to set up and do a podcast we, we thought about a lot of different frameworks and things we could do. And ultimately we're just like, why don't we just geek out? I mean, that's what we do. Like we just, we just geek out. So let's just talk about collecting and collectibles. Maybe let's open up and tell us a little bit about your journey as a collector. Like when did you become a collector and kind of how, how, how has collecting kind of been part of part of part of you and what you're up to? Yeah, I think um, I have probably the, uh, I would say the average story of like somebody who, who was super into it as a kid fell out of it. And then during that COVID time got so far back into it. And um, it actually was what inspired me into web three. And it was such a natural fit for me there because so, you know, when I was a kid, I was collecting all the time, everything I was collecting sports cards, pogs anything that was possibly collectible i was doing it action figures uh hess trucks um do you remember the hess trucks oh yeah the, I remember the yeah hess I, trucks for sure. oh yeah i used to get those every year when i was a kid and so um that was you know i had binders and binders of cards and you know the typical childhood experience where with collecting where you know you're you're trading with your friends you've got your binders of sports cards you've got your beckett price guide at the time and uh we're trying to figure out what all your cards were worth and trade value and all of that stuff and uh then you know life kind of gets in the way i went it because i was such a you know sports card collector i obviously was super attracted to sports so i went and played sports so you know that's where i went through that and kind of fell off of collecting and then you know it's funny i have a buddy um, his name is Rob and he was a super influential person in getting me back into it. He had been kind of telling me for a while what he was doing with, uh, he was a baseball, he's a baseball collector. And so he was telling me, you know, all this stuff about prospecting, you know, baseball players and everything. And that sounded like so much fun to me as someone who also is into like fantasy sports and things like that. And so, uh, he got me back in and, he knew exactly how to push my my degen button a little bit and he he introduced me to breaking and uh case breaking and all of that stuff and um you know that was very interesting i went down the breaking rabbit hole because it was such a fun like entertaining way to like get back into collecting and uh that mixed with my i guess entrepreneur bug that I always have. I was like watching this and I was like, Hey, well, I kind of want to be on the other side of this table. And so we, him and I started a breaking business, um, like right before COVID happened. And that was really, really a lot of fun to run for, you know, we did it for a couple of years and, um, that was like electric, got me back into it so deep. And I was, you know, really, had to re-educate myself on like uh PSA and and Beckett and grading and all of that stuff again and then right at that time you were seeing all of the NFT stuff happen the top shot like first art then top shot then everything else right and so it was just this perfect moment in time of me getting back into physical collecting paired with what I was seeing with 
top shot and nfts and i was like oh my goodness this is you know the nfts to me are like collecting on steroids where it's like you've got this really interesting uh, ecosystem to collect in and now for the first time it could be like digital and programmable as well and you're like oh man this is a really perfect storm for everything i've been so passionate about so that's kind of where how i started and now how i've ended up here and um it's it's been a really interesting journey yeah i mean that's 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 pretty cool that's a lot of uh, a lot of cool stuff there and breaking great way to understand products um i used to would some of my favorite products i would break a case really just so i would understand the product deeper and uh but yeah it's a, it's a lot of fun did you guys what was some did can you remember what the biggest hit you had for somebody oh, while you were breaking yeah i actually pulled it was a bowman draft it was 2021 i think or i can't remember which which year it was but it was the the volpe volpe year and uh so for the i'm a huge yankee fan but um i pulled a red out of five for somebody on the anthony volpe card and the dude freaked out it was so cool because we you know you do it on stream and everything and uh, that was probably the biggest card I ever pulled from like a dollar standpoint because you know the the um, value of these prospecting cards are just astronomical. It's it's crazy. It's very um, oh, yeah. very much reminiscent of like minting something rare, right? It's it's the same feeling. It's uh, probably overpriced the second you pull it, and but yeah, but no, there's it's... a market for it, and it's out there. So the Anthony Volpe red out of five was probably the biggest hit I had pulled. Um, we pulled some really cool like trout stuff uh, while we were playing. One of the funnest things we did was uh, we would do with I think it was tribute. Uh, it was tops tribute or something, and there the packs were small. There was only you know small amount of cards in the pack, but they were all everything was numbered and what him and i did we would do kind of like these break battles we called it breakery baseball and we would take turns ripping a box and we put this scoring system out for you know how people would uh that how you'd score runs and so we like live streamed us playing this game and everybody obviously was getting their cards but it was just such a fun thing so really that actually was that breaking business was kind of my first stab at kind of building community as well, which is really interesting right. because you've got that entire community aspect uh, that's really unique in terms of, uh, you know, building a business or a product right around community uh, is, is something that I'd never really done before. And now I'm like a, an addict of it, right? I've done it a couple of times here and it's, it's what I think is one of the cool superpowers of Web3. No, it really is the strength of the community and the people that the bonds that form <clears throat> and uh, certainly collecting is one of the one of the really strong ties that bind there. But you're but when you talk about like your friend, he's into the prospecting and stuff. And that was I, I that's one area of collecting that I'm not as much in right now because I don't have the time for it. You I'm have still to in have my IRL collecting, but it's hard to do prospecting. Like we would literally me and my buddies, we would go to minor league games. Like we were freaking, you know, cross checker scouts or something. And we want to lay eyes on these guys before we put a bunch of money in them. And, um, and, and then some of those guys, I mean, I had some, I had some really big licks. Like I had Akuna, <clears throat> I had two of his reds when oh, he wow. came up um wow. got one right after the call up and then he went through a little slump and i was able to get that one uh and then ended up selling those into the into that peak market of of 21 i had soto I, he, he only had one psa 10 red i had that um had pete alonzo reds so i mean i've had some a lot of other guys that were just kind of more mid-grade didn't make it up so that that was always the grail for me is what you're talking about like that volpe hit that would have been um, one of the main ones that I would have been after. We saw a huge spike up in the value of that product in after 2018 that it just leveled up and it was so expensive out of the wax. And I was like, man, I, I, everything 2017 and before, I felt really good that there was some upside in prospecting, sure. but I really yeah. felt that it kind of went away with the, the 19 product because it was just so hard. If you didn't get the guy, you were going to have a hard time um, yeah, and what you ended up seeing, and what you ended up seeing instead, because of what you just talked about, is how crazy uh, the sealed wax 
you know, prices went like, cause people didn't want to rip the boxes. They just wanted the potential to have those guys. Then you're right. It all came off of the, the value of that sealed wax. And I'll tell you the one thing about the sealed wax is sealed wax. It's kind of like, you know, in, in NFTs, when something is, you hear the altcoin with a picture on it. Yeah. It's really, that's the closest parallel you have in cards because it's fungible, right? So boxes totally. are fungible and that allows for the more rampant speculation. And sometimes when I look at it, when I see a box of something and it's going for double what the high card in that box is in PSA 10, I'm like, what, what are you guys doing? Like it just, but it's the market, the market's the market. And um, but it's, it definitely that seal wax can take on a life of its own for sure. I was going to use the analogy and you nailed it though. I was going to use the analogy of like the pre-reveal image, right? When, when you've got a mint and it hasn't revealed yet, everything's yep. the same and the market typically goes crazy until the reveal happens. And then, uh, then, you know, you end up with what you actually have and it comes back down to, to earth, but it's totally similar analogy. Yeah, fungibility, and that, that's one of the things when you get more fungibility in NFTs, if it catches the right meta, we saw it with the checks, right? The checks were able to come in, they were fungible, there was a lot of them, and it really was, to kind of quote Kobe, it was really able to become an altcoin with a JPEG attached to it, and we saw that really speculative cycle, and that's not that's not the artist's fault, that's not the addition's fault, it's just what the market chose to do with it, right? So Yeah, it's... That may be a good segue because one of the things in our ecosystem that we've been really working on is to bring IRL collectors and bring them in and let them understand digital ownership, that it's the same, that you really do own this. It's this is we're not top shot. We're not candy. We're not a closed network. We're real, you know, ETH based NFTs or EVM NFTs that you hold in your own self custody. And that feels to a collector like owning a card once you're red pilled and you understand it. So we're trying to bring people in that way. One of the things I've noticed about you is you've been one of the voices that's really tried to help some of the DGENs take a little bit different approach to how they view collecting, not just as rampant or not just as speculation, but to consider this as a collectible and as forming longer term thesis. Maybe talk about that a little bit about, about your kind of how you how, what success you've had kind of delivering that message. Yeah, I think it's a it's a super interesting one because of like you said with it, it there's there's a perfect analogy to the sports card market where you know, you saw this rush of people come in during COVID and the market went crazy and it was mostly speculation driving that, right? It was people were People were bored. They saw this really fun thing that gave them this feeling of nostalgia and they saw the market going on fire and they wanted to jump in and uh, and participate. And really what they were left with, like what the market has been left with after that is, you know, some people come in and, and got wrecked, right? And some people uh, stuck around and they see the real value of it. And then there's some that are in between. And I think we're we're doing that same thing now during this mini, you know, bear market that we're in here in the NFT market, because, uh, you know, call it a bear market if you want, but maybe it's it's the fact that like the bubble burst, right? And, and now what you're seeing is is kind of this, you know, what is left of that in terms of, okay, are there's still some angles to kind of make money and trade, but what you're actually starting to notice is what the real use case here is, what the real value of this stuff is. Um, and it's both from a collectability standpoint and a like a, a real world use case standpoint and not so much this crazy speculative bubble that we had. And there's going to be plenty of that because collectible markets are markets, right? So you're going to be able to, so you can participate in both ways here. And I think that's my kind of message to both people. And because it's funny, I came in to, I came into sports cards back in uh, when I got back in the same way I came into NFTs when I got back in and I was attracted to the market and I wanted to play in the market. I wanted to make money. I saw an opportunity. I saw the fact that I could have an edge and I was super attractive. And, and, but then when you, what, ended up happening in both scenarios is I'm left with things I love, right? Things that I think will hold value long-term, 
in especially in the sports cards, right? Like what I'll I I brought a little show and tell, so I'll show you in a little bit. But uh, the but what I'm left with is stuff that I really think will hold value long term that I like collecting, that I like the players that I have. Um, and what ended up happening to all that speculative, speculative stuff that I thought I was going to hit home runs on it's in my closet, right? Like it's, or, or it's sold, it's gone. And same thing in the NFT space where I came in as a flipper and I was literally, you know, a top 0.3% of open sea traders in 2021. Right. And so I was just like, I, I mean, I was as degen as you get and, uh, what I've come to realize though is since then is that we actually are dawning in this new stage of the actual of collectibles as a market, right? And I've I tweeted this a while back, but the collectibles industry today is like a $364 billion industry. And it's projected with a um, you know, an a compounding annual growth rate of four percent. By 2028, it's projected to be like $800 billion. And I think that what we're doing here with NFTs and digital collectibles is going to help get there. And that this is going to be part of the actual collectibles market. Uh, and it's going to be a huge part of it. Because I said at the beginning, right, where it's like you take a physical collectible and it's great. You own it. There's a market for it. It's, it you can play around in it. It's But... The difference here is you take that same thing that makes a physical collectible cool, it makes a physical collectible valuable. And now it's digital. It it can never, you know, be degraded. It can never be uh, you know, manipulated, right? So you've got the digital aspect of it. It's easy to store, it's easy to hold, it's easy to display, it's easy to show off. And then you've got the fact that it's programmable, meaning you can now connect communities to a single digital collectible. You can connect utility to a single digital collectible. And that's stuff that's never been able to be done before. And now you can see like collectibles expanding into things that are maybe digitally and physically tied, only digital. And I think you're going to see that. And, and art's a really good example because art has always been collectible. So it made a, it was a really you know, natural first spot that NFT technology would fit in, right? Because it's something that was digital and physical that uh, makes perfect sense, right? But now you're starting to see some other really unique use cases form, uh, like what we're doing with Starbucks and, and things like that. And I think you're going to see this explode as a piece of the overall collectibles market, not just the NFT market, right? It's going to be seen as, oh, digital collectibles. And I think that's what's really fascinating. And so what I'm trying to, so my mindset has shifted drastically since I got into NFTs and Web3 into, okay, and, and quite honestly, I have regrets of how I acted in the first, you know, yeah, I made, I made good money, but what I'm left with now is a bag that is, of, of things in my collection that, are probably not long-term collectible winners for the most part. And now I'm wishing I had that mindset when I started because I'd be, I'd still have my board apes. I'd still have those other things that I didn't sell. And um, so that's kind of what I'm trying to evangelize, right? Is like, look at these things as what's going to be here 10 years from now, because I really do think we're actually ushering and ushering in a new market or new arm of the collectibles market. Does that make sense? I think it definitely does. I think a lot of what you just hit on there, when people, the friends that I have, and I, I have amazing close friends in physical trading that still, even though I'm running this business, uh, you know, they've been, there's been a lot of trepidation around them coming in and wanting to really lean into this. And it, the, the, the single biggest pushback that I just consistently hear is, it's not, I can't touch it. I can't physically touch it. And I'm like, yes, that is true. But let me explain some of these other things that it can do that the physical can't do. And you hit on several of them. And when you say it's it's programmable, one of the things like in block packs that we do that is impossible to do with real cards, I cannot go and distribute boxes of real physical cards, let people rip them 
and then come back a month later. And after all the trading has happened between people, reward people that have a certain card in their hand. Unless I physically had some type of a mail-in or some really cumbersome way to prove that you now have that card, we're able to do that on the blockchain with full visibility. We can launch sweepstakes behind that, rewards behind that, things that supercharge that collector experience and make it so much more fun. And like you also hit on, the fact that there we know there's so much stuff back from the 90s, we still don't know how much of that stuff is in is in circulation, right? And and when and now that print runs are increasing, we don't know what the the print run this year on base autos in Bowman Chrome are. We we can try to triangulate it off the off the pack odds and that sort of thing, but it's it's really hard to understand how much supply is out there at any given time. NFTs digital fixes that. Like you said, no degradation. It will not. You don't have to worry about the about it about the about the condition of the product. You don't have to worry about it being being uh, harmed in any way. Like it's it's as long as you protect your seed phrase in your wallet, it's protected. There's so many positives, and then the biggest positive that I think should resonate to physical collectors is global instant liquidity for your collection. That is something that we operate like the number of deals that I did over decades internationally in trading cards, very low. I mean, there were some, but very low. I, I could do international deals in NFTs in two seconds, trustless around the world. And once you open up that liquidity, and that's one of the things that guys are having a hard time coming from physical to wrap their brain around. They see something like CryptoPunks. And they're like, wait a minute, there's 10,000 supply. Why in the world is the floor of the CryptoPunks worth a hundred grand? When a Michael Jordan PSA 10 Fleer is only worth 180 and there's only 350 copies of that in PSA 10, they, they're like, that's just, it doesn't make sense. That's, that's the argument. They're saying, no, it'll, it'll crash because the supply is too high relative to the price it's holding. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's you're, you're thinking in your United States box, you're not thinking global liquidity and you're not thinking of the, the premium that an investor will put on that global liquidity that instant liquidity which will pull more people to it and so it's there's so many powerful things that are that are happening in the space so we could unpack all that we could actually have a whole show on just totally. that so I, I i won't go any further down down that rabbit hole but one of the things that you you, you did you mentioned two things that i want to make sure we do one i want to see your show and tell and then two i do want to talk about uh starbucks maybe let, let's jump into starbucks first and maybe for those that don't know just give a little bit of background of what you and your company and what you guys are doing for starbucks and how you're bringing them into into digital collectibles yeah sure so uh i think this is a really awesome uh, you know what i what i mentioned before was the word use case right so digital collectibles as a use case for uh, loyalty, consumer loyalty, uh, is what we're doing here with Starbucks Odyssey. So if you are unfamiliar with Starbucks as a loyalty program in general, the Starbucks loyalty program has, I think, around 27 million 60-day active users. So it's a it's an enormous program. Um, this concept of loyalty is not new, but what digital collectibles and NFTs can do to enhance the and and push a loyalty experience forward is, and that's what we're ultimately doing at Form Three. We are we consider ourselves a a loyalty company built with or that is focused on digital collectibles and web three technology. And so what we've done with Starbucks here is we've taken their existing loyalty program and we've built this entire extension on it. That is at its core, a gamified collectible game, right? So extension of their loyalty program. So what you actually do here inside of Starbucks Odyssey is if you're a Starbucks rewards member, You'll be able to come in and create yourself a Odyssey account using your same login credentials. So that's a super interesting and important point for people to remember as we talk about this. There's an immediate connection between both programs via your login, right? So uh, you'll come in, you can actually take these things that we're calling journeys, and they're very much like 
customer experience mini games, right? So for example, you know, we've got the coffee heritage journey and there's four or five different mini game things you can do in there, like take a virtual tour of the Costa Rican coffee farm, uh, answer some questions about the first store and all these things that really are meant to drive your relationship with the brand that is Starbucks. Learn more about it, learn more about the brand, learn more about coffee and really get yourself a deeper relationship with the brand. And that works on both streets, right? Like the, the consumer's loving it because they've never really engaged with the brand this way. The brand's loving it because the, the consumer's taking away a deeper knowledge of what they're all about. And that drives this feeling of loyalty. Once you complete a journey, you're rewarded with a digital collectible stamp. And uh, that stamp has points embedded into the metadata. So you're now being rewarded with something that has digital scarcity that is a collectible issued by one of the biggest brands in the world. Uh, so talk about global, you know, reach and liquidity, right? You've got just in this Starbucks Odyssey or just in the traditional Starbucks program, there's 27 million active users, right? And so when you think about some of these initial really early versions of the collectibles that are out there, there's like 570 of this first stamp, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so, but you, you're rewarded with this stamp. The stamp has points, the points level you up inside the platform. And at certain points in the leveling system, you'll be able to claim uh, other rewards. So there'll be like quarterly claim windows for rewards with their, which are maybe digital, maybe physical. There's going to be, and, and you kind of touched on this point on what you're doing with block packs on like, okay, well now at certain levels, I could take snapshots of folks in the game and say, hey, we're rewarding this really cool piece of of art that we've done with a super well-known artist to anybody who holds or is at a certain level in the game and what it what it actually is doing is is fascinating you're it's solving a real business case for starbucks the business case it's solving is a traditional reward program is super transactional super linear right the it's a quid pro quo of you give me incremental visits and spend at, at your you know location i give you stars in this scenario which are uh you know tied to a certain us dollar value that you can exchange for discounted product right so it's it's very it's got a hard cost that to starbucks and when you scale that out to 27 million people the cost is large right so and so at some point you run into a diminishing return on like what you can actually do inside incrementality from a, a rewards program if you take this model, the Starbucks Odyssey model, and you make this an accretive thing to the rewards program. It's not meant to replace it. It's meant to be additive, right? But when you do this, what you can actually achieve here, like I mentioned before, Starbucks is one of the most iconic brands in the world. They could get a collaboration with any artist, any other business, any other uh, musician in the world, and they have but they've never been able to share that two-way value with their customers. It's always been in a marketing effort type of way where it's very push. And so here you can actually reward people with these digital collectibles, which one have an innate collectability in and of themselves. If nothing else was attached to them, it's a digital collectible. It's that is issued by a brand that has millions and millions of fans, people will want that. There are major Starbucks collectors out there from you know, the mugs and things like that. But on top of that, the programmability piece that we touched on before allows you to take some of that, what I call like intangible brand value and reward the people inside that ecosystem who have done the most work inside of your Starbucks ecosystem that have shown that they're participating the most. And you can take things like, for example, this is a hypothetical, but let's say uh, Starbucks partners with Mariah Carey uh, in next holiday season, and she issues this co-branded collectible and it's redeemable for a concert ticket. And only you can only get that, you're only airdrop that if you're a certain level inside of Odyssey. Well, now you've you've successfully literally transferred that value, that intangible brand value that you had to something tangible with market value to a consumer just by participating with you as a brand. So it's a really, I think, powerful use case 
both from a collectability and engagement standpoint. And so that's what we're doing with Starbucks Odyssey. It's going super well so, so far. Um, some, like I said, some of these early stamps, because we were in beta and there was just so many and so little users, uh, only have like 570 issued. So they're actually trading for, uh, I feel like it would blow your, your collector buddies minds that don't, can't wrap their head around it. Like this Starbucks stamp is trading for like $2,000 <laughs> and it's, you know, it's a image of a holiday cup. Right. And so, but there's so much more to it from issued from a brand very small supply has utility and programmability to it and and really rewarded to them for free the nominal cost of you had to to complete that stamp you had to buy five coffees over five weeks so you had to go to starbucks once a week for five weeks to hit that so you're talking about a 25 dollars investment in something that you're probably doing anyway right which is going to starbucks and now the market has decided that this Starbucks digital collectible has a value of a couple thousand bucks, right? So super fascinating use case and in both collectability and just like how this stuff could be used for loyalty. And that, that is, it's, I, I'm not just saying this because you're here to gas you up. It's absolutely what I believe is the best brand activation we've seen in web three. Nothing else really is, it approaches it there is a very clear and obvious collector's thesis around why these things will be demand. Well, there will be demand. Now, does that $2,000 become 200,000? Does it become, is it, is it, does it 200? You know, that's the big question, but I think the idea of there, will there be demand? That part is very obvious. And just, it's just, it just hits you in the face. Like, wow, this is a really cool program. And then the ability to do, like you said, things that can create value along the way, the, the Mariah Carey thing, again, that's just totally hypothetical, wouldn't have to be first for it to have instant value, right? And, um, and, and you're right, it does just work just like the mugs and that sort of thing. And I'd mentioned to you that the thing that it reminds me of is just, we go back into physical collecting, we can go back decades and we have physical collectibles that are that were that were part of loyalty programs. So I, mean, I pulled this guy right here, we're talking about show and tell, this is an Ovaltine Spider-Man from the early 80s, PSA 10. There's only four of these in existence. I've got a Hulk here. There's only two of these in existence in PSA 10. And these came in the caps of Ovaltine, and they, were, and they were a loyalty program. And that's what they were intended for. So a brand partnership, like you said, Ovaltine was a powerhouse back then, able to partner with Marvel and then try to accrete that value to their customers. And this was the model that they came up with you're doing the same thing and, and have the same type of opportunities. And, you know, the, the, the person that probably got this Spider-Man and the kid that ran around his house with it thought it was really cool. Uh, but the number of these that went on to become PSA 10 copies and, and stay, you know, become collectibles, really a, a low number. And then, it, and that gets somebody like me excited, somebody else that collects in that Marvel world. Um, those things are just so obscure that they don't have, they don't have a great market because they're so obscure, but they're really cool. They're really rare. And, and you would have to pry those things out of my hands. Like you'd like, they'd be hard to get from me. I would imagine there will be people very quickly that they will feel the same about those early star, those early Starbucks stamps. I mean, yeah, that's gonna, you're, that's you're already, you're already seeing that thesis play out with the market around that specific stamp, right? Like people are, clearly identifying that it's one it's the first one two it that by nature makes it the most scarce one right there will likely never be one that's that's scarcer just because there'll be more people coming into the platform right and so um there's there's that piece of it and it's just so crazy to watch the the mentality happen because there's a community aspect of this as well, right? So like we've launched a a, a Discord community. It's still pretty small right now, um, but seeing the way people are talking about it is very similar to what you just mentioned around like it, it, because these things were. What's interesting is they're they're essentially free to earn aside from, you know, the small amounts you're paying for the coffee that are part of this. And again, that I pointed out, like the really interesting thing that makes this all work is that you're able to connect your your login to your rewards app. So 
that means anything you can do in store, anything you can do with that app, you can be credited for, which means that we can make some really, really cool journeys along the way too. And what's interesting is like, there's going to be, not all of them will have incredible value like this, but if if they have, if the average one has five, ten, twenty dollars of value as a collectible, <laughs> that's exa- that's exactly right, right? Like Starbucks, it's you know seven days a week at at five dollars a coffee is thirty five bucks, right? So if you're just, I mean, you're you're you could essentially kind of free roll your coffee if you're doing this program, right? Which is really interesting. And then every once in a while, there's going to be these really scarce ones because there's either going to be time constraints on the journey there's going to be kind of limited edition ones and things like that and you'll be able to see kind of this scarcity form and you'll know kind of which ones are maybe more scarce than others and those will obviously have higher demand but the really can fun I, can, part- I, can i pause you right there because I, I have a i have a point that i think a lot of people that maybe web3 dgens will listen to that and they'll say because here's the question that we get asked in web3 where does the yield come from where does the yield come from, Bunch? How is that possible that I can just free roll my coffee? It's gonna, it's not gonna last. What they miss in that type of scenario is we're talking about something where the value is not board ape value, it's not hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's $25, $30. And people will spend discretionary income on collecting and that satisfaction of winning. So the where the yield comes from is because people truly want to collect those things. And that's where it will come from. And the fact that I can't travel to Alaska, if you do a special stamp that can only be had in Alaska and I want to collect the 50 states, I am happy to send the person in Alaska 40 bucks for their stamp and free roll their coffee for a week so that I can now have that stamp. And that's where the yield comes from. And I think that's a, and we have that happen in our ecosystem. People, they, they have trouble grasping where yield comes from, well, yeah, when it's just speculative pump and dump, you're right, that implodes. But when there's real collectible value, it doesn't it, because people really value the thing. So just wanted to pause you there because I thought you were making that it's point. And I, I hear point. somebody saying, where does, the, where does the free coffee come from? It comes from true desire and people willing to put additional dollars in as collectors. That's where the yield comes from. A hundred percent. Like, I couldn't agree more with what you just said there, especially when there's a community around it, right? Because the community part is what ends up driving all of that collectability desire, right? Because everybody wants to have a full set. Everybody wants to, you know, flex and say they are participating and, you know, it becomes this whole community driven thing. And, uh, and then there's, you know, again, like, that's where, so right where we just described is is kind of where physicals stop, right? Meaning like you, everything you just said, where's the yield come from? Even in, even in physical collectibles, there's a yield there because there's a community that is driving that demand around these scarce items, right? Now add in the Web3, the programmable, the blockchain piece of it, which makes it really, really fun and interesting is like, well, now you can even kind of, set create if you're if you're starbucks or whoever runs a program like this where it's like okay well now i have visibility into everything that everybody holds and so i can say hey i know that there's a small amount of people that have this holiday stamp so on top of whatever we do in holiday 2021 we're going to put an extra level of reward there for those holding this uh, this really unique item or, Hey, now you can start creating threads between these journeys where it's like, okay, if you have the holiday stamp, the heritage stamp and some other one, you're eligible for this collaboration that we're doing. Right. And that, and that drives the entire kind of flywheel of collectability as well, because people, the rewards are real. The rewards are real and they're funded not by community, not by the participants, but by this massive entity, which is Starbucks and who can reward them with things that they actually care about, they actually want. And maybe it's not. And and where does the yield come from? Like you said, maybe you're not into a Mariah Carey concert, Frenchie, but your wife is or somebody else's wife is. And because of their Starbucks habits, they're one stamp away. So they're going to go buy yours to complete this thing. And now for a nominal cost of, of whatever that stamp was, they've completed this thing. They now get this reward. 
and it was worth it to them to do so, right? So there's so many interesting facets that we just touched on there, but I think we we did a pretty good job of kind of painting the whole picture on why this thing has collectability, right? Yeah, and one last point that I love about it is this one is absolutely a massive Trojan horse right under our right under our nose. The only reason my wife and daughter aren't participating in it I, I don't, they may be because they're big Starbucks fans, but it's because they don't know about it yet. <laughs> and once they know about this, they're going like, why would you not? If you're already doing Starbucks, why would you, why would you not? And then the next thing, you know, they have a digital collectible and they hear, wait a minute, you know, these are tradable. What do I need to do to trade them? Next thing, you know, bam, they're down the rabbit hole of self custody. They hold their own assets. They're, they're red pilled and that's it. They understand digital scarcity, digital ownership. And that's one of the big things that, the space as a whole needs. And so I think we have this beautiful Trojan horse right here under our nose. And I think it's an awesome program. I love it. Yeah. And just to touch on that part, it's was super important for us because of this, right? Because that point you just made, there's 27 million Starbucks rewards accounts out there that um, could potentially participate in this. And when you compare that to like how big the space is now, it's, you know, multitudes of of size bigger and so it was important to us when we created the program to kind of make it this web two and a half type of experience or i've lovingly call it like the mullet platform meaning you know kind of web two in the front web three in the back where you have you know it's really easy to use you come in you are able to participate whether you're myself or you or my grandmother or my mom and they don't need to know how to set up a wallet they don't need to know how to manage private keys they don't need to do any of that it can be done for them but it also has the option to do it yourself. So um, what we took inspiration from was kind of like NBA Top Shot in the sense of like, hey, it was really easy to log in. It's really easy to purchase. You could purchase with Fiat. You could purchase with your credit card. It was really easy to understand what you were purchasing. And then what happened with, with the Top Shot was like people got addicted into this like, they got red pilled right on like digital ownership and oh i understand this oh and self-custody that seems interesting let me go learn about this so we've given the option for people to kind of graduate into self-custody or if you're someone like myself or you that are already you know really crypto native you could go pull off your stamp right now from the platform hold it in your metamask wallet and um, so we wanted to make it really accessible from both sides but we very much understood that in order to make this uh, user experience friendly for the 27 million that may come in here at some point, it it had to be done like that. So, um, you know, when your wife and daughter jump into the platform, uh, they should have a pretty seamless experience and not need to know how to set up a wallet and anything like that. Love it. Love it. Um, so I know you have some other stuff you got to do, so I don't want to run too long, but I don't, I don't want to miss your show and tell. So right. let's, uh, let's see what you brought on. Let's geek out a little bit with what you brought that brought the show. All right. So I, I had to go with like a couple of these things that are, I guess, in line with how I'm now starting to approach the NFT space on like what I want to collect. So I've got, you know, one modern, like that's super like special to me because I am, I'm a huge football fan. I'm a Penn State alum. I am a Giants fan. So the the New York Giants that holds near and dear to my heart is my Saquon Barkley here. So I've oh, got yeah. yeah, I've got my Saquon Barkley 20 what what year is this? 2018 Contenders draft pick auto nine uh Beckett nine five. It's just like one of the it's it's actually numbered out of twenty-five. This is one of those cards that's just like personal to me you know what i mean it's probably not uh this a grail card to many folks but it, it is to me both from the the penn state tie-in the new york giants drafting him and just like if you've ever dove into saquon as a person at all he's just one of those guys that yeah, he seems uh, to be a great dude yeah exactly yeah. uh then the rest are like goat hunting right so we've got the this one uh, you know, there's so many of these in circulation, but it's got to be one you have if you're a goat hunter is the Tiger Woods rookie. Right? Oh, yeah, I got a stack of those. I'm sure you, they went, dude, they went off at some point. They were, these were like over a thousand bucks a pop at one point. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the Tiger Woods upper deck uh, 2001. 
then these are my two probably, I guess, prized possessions would be uh, I could can't afford any higher of a grade than this at some point. Maybe I'll upgrade, but the uh, 1979 uh, tops Wayne Gretzky in a PSA six. So I couldn't go for, I couldn't spring for the Opeachy yet, but uh, uh, that was all I could afford at the time. So it's, but it's a good one. That's it. It's a goat. And then this one, it's just like, it's like the beginning of my, uh, like resurgence into the collectible space. And I, I would say probably like le led to me getting into all of this so hard was um, I think, well, I don't know if it was you and me that were talking, but there's this whole community of crazy collectibles fans on Facebook. And there's all these rooms that do, you know, the Raz raffles and things like that. It, I think it was you because you have the Raz product. And, uh, and so in a Raz, in a, in a legal way, we do it in a legal yeah, way. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> all, there's, all these Facebook, <laughs> all these Facebook ones are illegal raffles. Yes. Right. They're yeah. illegal Raz raffles, but the, uh, I was in one of them and they, were uh, they were razzing off a 1940 uh babe ruth signed baseball and oh, wow. and so they you know the way those razzes work in the facebook groups is like they're if they can't fill the main line which is just you know 10 divided by whatever the 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 item is worth they start running these like mini raffles to get into the main raffle and so i entered one of the like mini raffle spots for 180 bucks and I hit it. So I got one spot in the main raffle and I hit, I, I won it. So I That's one awesome. spotted, I one spotted a, a mini raffle and ended up with the Babe Ruth baseball. And it was a, it's a 1940s. So it's like literally probably one of the last balls he signed before he died. And it was right at the beginning of COVID when everything shut down, I literally drove to, the middle of nowhere pennsylvania to meet this dude in a in a rest stop to exchange it uh so because he didn't want to i didn't want him to like ship it and something happened to it but uh so point in the uh digital trading ecosystem not having to drive to a pennsylvania rest stop to pick up an item <laughs> yeah that's, that, is, that is a that is a big benefit for sure but yeah that though dude those are all cool we had the actual the gretzky when we first did our block packs drops when we were back in like our alpha and beta and then we did our first drop and our second drop i will admit i'm not a hockey guy so it's very few hockey players that i know gretzky obviously the goat so we had to cover hotkeys and we just put a gretzky in every drop so it, <laughs> it kind of became a meme it's like all right where's the gretzky what grade is the gretzky in this drop That's and awesome. like i thought about for a moment i said do we just keep doing this do we make sure there's one in every drop and then we kind of like and eh, maybe not it's just it'll it'll it will play out and people won't everybody will have one and so we uh we ended up stopping it probably but i think we got like six drops in and we always had a great that's awesome that, that <laughs> always there but yeah that's man, awesome. this has been great i mean I, I there's so much that we could unpack and and, and talk about and but you know i i, I think like just what, you, what you're talking about there about like the degenning and you say, you know, I wish I could go back in time. One of the things that I often say is that for me, I don't have the time to be a flipper. So I have to take a longer term approach. But at the same time, I really believe that I have an edge in that longer term approach because I can look at things like when we go back into the markets when markets run up, not just in NFTs. Look at when the Jordan 86 Fleers went from 200 grand to 750 or whatever. The, there's two that sold in a golden auction in one night at over 700. Like there's no or foundation yeah. in that, right? And you have all these people that are sitting on these things at 20 grand where they've been for a decade. And then all of a sudden there's 700. You know that those are going to get pulled out of vaults and you know that that's going to come back down. And, you, and so same thing happens in nfts like we saw the same thing with the crypto punks and the board apes you saw these rises and you you can you can see it if you've got a long-term mindset you can say there's just not support there but right now man it feels really like a good chance to cherry pick some good stuff because we're just kind of grinding and that's what i love to see right now and it's in, we're doing that in cards i think we're getting ready never financial advice we don't even put that disclaimer out because that's just even not the world we're in we're collectors but like, you know, we're grinding in cards right now. Um, it just, and, and I just, I mean, I'm buying some stuff and I just, when I buy it, I'm like, man, I feel like I stole that thing. And <laughs> I bought a, I bought a Jordan auto the other night. That thing had, they've gone, they've gone as high as 80 grand 
And I got wow. one off of Bolden for $12,000. And wow. so that in and of itself doesn't mean it's a great value. But when you look at everything around the card, how many of them have sold at different prices and you start feeling like, where's the foundation on it? It's just, um, you know, I think this is a great time and I think it's a great opportunity. And I think people will look back on this year, go back into probably late last year, probably through summer, end of summer. It kind of depends on what the broader markets do when things really start to turn and, and, the, and quantitative tightening, or it eases up and, and rates have a chance to start turning the other way. But right now, I just think people are going to look back on this and they're going to be like, man, why didn't I pay more attention? Why didn't I find some things that I really believed in during that time? Because I think this is a great, great time to, to, to cherry pick some amazing collectibles that can be grail pieces in the years to come. Amen. That's what I did with these shoes behind me too, by the way. These are the uh, uh, Artifact Philosius shoes. Um, okay. They're, if you, uh, are you familiar with the Artifact ecosystem much? Yep, so, a little bit. Yeah, this was the first physical they did, and it was with the artist Philosius, who's obviously yep. one of the, the biggest artists in the space now. And I missed out on the early drops and uh, to, to be able to kind of claim this for free. And there's only there they did like a you know a rare and uncommon and a legendary version, but even so, there's maybe I don't know a thousand pairs of the shoes. Period. And this is the legendary pair. There's only 121 pairs of them, and so I I was like, oh, I have to have this because I love the you know I I think there's there's value in you know having the first artifact shoe because I think they're gonna do some really cool things. They got bought by Nike, and then the combo of of that with you know sharing the arc of you know Fuosius as an artist is really cool. And so I went in and like they were going for I don't know five or six grand on StockX, and I just came in and I was like somebody will somebody will want to sell this thing, so I put in a bunch of like low low bids and and just waited, and somebody sold into it, and so I literally I I felt like I stole it. I got it for you know, like a thousand bucks when they were selling all day for, you know, 5k. And so you just like created value out of thin air just by being patient and, and finding something that you believe in that maybe somebody else does it. So, yeah. um, and that, and that, that Fuosha style, the bright colors, and it's just, it's, uh, it's hard to look at that, at, at his stuff and think that you don't really like, it's, just, it's, 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 it's happiness inducing art, I guess. Totally. Like, <laughs> Totally. Um, and, and he's always, every time you see him on video, it's like, how is any human being that <laughs> all yeah. the time? Like, yeah. he's like, holy crap. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's uh that's, that's cool. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a cool snag for sure. I'm not, I'm definitely not, uh, you can see by the grays here. I, I sneaker culture is one, like my, my my sneakers consist of just uh, bands like i just wear me, me too and so like i've actually been getting more into it lately because of stuff like this right it was never really my jam but there's some things that are just like okay this speaks to me and uh i don't have a sneaker collection period after this it's literally my only one but it was something i felt like i needed to have and uh it's a cool it's a cool item for me love it well, Joe, we appreciate you coming on and geeking out with us here in one of our early podcasts. I know you're busy and have a lot going on. We really appreciate it. I think that uh, just really some amazing stuff that we that, that we heard from you today about the Starbucks program, your journey as a collector, all that I think was just awesome. And uh, you are welcome back absolutely anytime, my friend, and really enjoyed geeking out with you. I think we geeked out sufficiently. I think we did a lot of we geek did. it. So that's I think that's a successful show. I would love to come back maybe in a couple months or whatever, and we'll, uh, we'll do an update and, and see where we're at. All right. Sounds good, Joe. Thanks a lot, cool. man. Take it easy. Thanks, Frenchie. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to another episode of Geeking Out, the podcast for collectors. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on all things related to collecting. Remember, new episodes are coming every week. So until next time, keep geeking out.